My beast's nose scented cold and earth and the faintest tang of magic. Not the same magic that pervaded the house or even the forest. This was something older and wilder, filled with sadness and decay. Yet at its core was something pure and clear, like the peal of a bell or the heat of a burning ember or the colour of a crimson rose. So I just read the, the back cover blurb of The Beast's Heart. And now I'm opening it up to read the, f- the first page. I am neither monster nor man, yet I am both. I am the beast. I know why I was cursed. I know the legacy of evil I carry in my tainted blood. So how could she ever love me? My Isabeau. Am I saying that correctly? Isabeau? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> she opened my eyes, my mind and my heart when I was struggling just to be human. And now I might lose her forever. Lose yourself in this gorgeously rich and magical retelling of Beauty and the Beast that finally lays bare the Beast's heart. Now, the Beast's heart is by Leif Shalcross, who lives at the foot of a mountain in Canberra, Australia, with her family and a small scruffy creature who snores. She has a tendency to overindulge in reading fairy tales, then lie awake at night listening to trolls or maybe possums galloping over her tin roof. Ever since she can remember, she has been fascinated by stories about Kenny fairy godmothers, heroic goose girls and handsome princes disguised as bears. She is particularly inspired by those characters that tend to fall into the cracks of the, un- of the usual tales. She is the author of several short stories, including Pretty Jenny Greenteeth, which won the 2016 Aurealis Award for Best Young Adult Short Story. The Beast's Heart is her first novel, which is published by Hachette. Find out more at www.leafshellcross.com or on Galactic Chat Today. Uh, I'm Helen Stubbs and welcome to the show, Leaf Shellcross. Hello Helen, thanks for having me. Uh, It's lovely to have you here. How are you going? Very well, thank you. Very well. Yeah, awesome. Um, So, um, can you tell us about writing The Beast's Heart? Was it a concept that had burned in your mind for a long time or were you struck with a sudden inspiration? Uh, this one was definitely a slow burn. This yep. was um, uh, uh, definitely a story that had been cooking in my head for a very long time, yeah. um, and I uh, had had probably written a couple of sort of iterations of it. Yeah. Um, and so it was a bit of a this was a bit of a sort of a labour of love for me. Um, I think. Uh, uh, I and 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 now it's interesting because um it was it was the first novel I ever wrote ever or ever finished um and um it took me a very long time to write it um but now I'm trying to um I have other novel projects that I'm working on um and I'm trying to work out how to finish a novel in less time than it took me to write the piece. So how many years, was it years that you worked on it for? Yes, very very many years, yeah. I think, look, I think um, I probably started fiddling with it as a concept in my early 20s um, and didn't 
didn't wouldn't have finished a first draft until like a complete first draft until I think it was around 2020, 2012 that yeah. I finished. So I, I just just to put that in context. Um, let's see, how old would I have been in 2012? Uh, I, I would have been in my late 30s. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And then so it, took, it was published yeah. in 2017, so then the editing process. And yeah, you, actually it was published or, in 2018, 2018. Um, but uh, Hodder, um, Hodder made an offer to me at the end of 2016. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Right, so, it, the publishing sort of, process takes a yeah. long time itself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and was it definitely going to be Beauty and the Beast that you told sort of an alternative concept, uh, alternative um, perspective on or is that generally something like that you are interested in for other stories as well too? Or? Um. Yes, I. Is it your favourite? I I really like. I guess I guess you know I'm a I'm a big fan of the kind of the twisted fairy tale sort of yeah. idea. Yeah. Really like the idea of of taking a really well known story and telling it from a different perspective, or or um, making you know twist twisting something about the the character to make it surprising so i think beauty and the beast has been one of my very favorite fairy tales for a long time um partly because well mostly because i think the um i'm not a massive fan of sort of insta love of the whole kind of love at first sight concept and beauty and the beast spends such a long time together they really get time to kind of um get to know each other and 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 they fall in love over a long period of time and that sort of that I've always loved that aspect yeah of the it's nice the way it's like the opposite to love at first sight isn't it it's um... yeah exactly exactly and the beast is often such a kind of a caricature of a character and I think yeah. um there's a lot of portrayals of Beauty and the Beast where he's a very unsatisfying character. Right. Um, Whereas as, your as, beast is really multi-layered, you know, he's not he's not just good, he's not just hard done by. He's um he's got yeah. his history, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got his he does. Past. And 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 that was kind of this I think that was the central question that I was trying to answer when I was writing it um was that you've got you've got this this person that um has done something terrible that it's so the basic premise that he's done something terrible and a fairy has made the decision to kind of lock him away from humanity for a hundred years or however long and um and it's always really interested me to think if he's done something that bad that the, this fairy has decided to enact this sort of, you know, revenge or this term of imprisonment, this yeah. punishment. Um, what? How could you come back from that? Like, how mm. could? How can somebody be rehabilitated from having done something that awful yeah. into hero of the story? So then I really started thinking about, you know, what what was it that he could have done? Why would the fairy have chosen to do this to him? Um, and trying to kind of, sort of un, unpick that sort of complexity because I sort of feel like a, a lot of things that you'd lock someone away for 100 years for, you don't want to There's rehabilitate no that person into a, into a romantic hero. That's, that's, yeah. that's not a that's – Yeah, not you're a absolutely right because, like, we're probably thinking, you know, murder, 
Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, I, don't know. yeah. I know. It's just a list of horrible things, and it's like you actually probably. I, I there's there's ethical questions about rehabilitating um, somebody like who is capable of that into a romantic right. hero, and I'm not saying it's not possible, yeah, you're right. but but um, there's serious questions about that. So. Yeah, but I guess it's those that thought that through that suffering, um, his suffering, perhaps he'll learn empathy or, yes, or something. Yes, and for him it's very much a journey of, of sort of, you know, learning about how to relate to other humans and learning about how um, other humans relate in, in families and in romantic relationships. So Right. Yeah. And when you're telling um, his alternate sort of perspective of story that people know the ending of, are there any particular methods you use to maintain the tension and surprise or were there any, um, I think you talked a bit about the challenges. but um... Yeah. Uh, look, my memory of it is that the biggest challenge was um, you have you have a story that is essentially set in a very, in a very limited set. It's, yeah, you know, you've got right. two people yeah. in a house for a year mm. and um, the, the big challenge that I had in sort of trying to keep the story sort of dynamic and interesting and fresh is that um, you've only got these two people so I sort of employed this device of uh, a magic mirror where yeah. the beast is able to then look into that mirror and see how my beauty's family is faring and and what is going on in their lives and 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 to an extent the impact on their lives yeah. of of Isabeau having been removed from their family circle and um so that that sort of did that did a couple of things i mean the main the main thing was that it it gave me the opportunity to kind of expand the story a little bit beyond just what was going on between Isabeau and the beast yeah um, and and it's really there's there's it's really interesting some of the reviews that people have made where they've actually yeah. found the sisters' stories more interesting than the sisters Isabeau's stories. Story. Are great, like yeah. I think they provide, as you say, extended cast, but also yes. context. And um, yes. it's interesting to see how they get on without her and how they struggle yeah. and what they learn. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing, which it wasn't really a conscious decision. This wasn't me consciously doing this but um somebody who read one of the very early readers of the book sort of came back to me and she said she really enjoyed the mirror scenes because she felt they really contributed to how to, to teaching the beast how to interact on that sort of human like what positive human interactions were yes and, and, and really modeled for him you know good good relationships Those good and, relationships yeah that's and, a really good and, point, isn't it? And I thought, oh, that was so clever of me. <laughs> <laughs> it was. You just didn't know you were doing it, but, no, I but didn't. still. But I think it's I think it's really true. It kind of because again, that's another question. You have somebody who's been in isolation for such a long time. How yeah. do you expect them to learn to be a good human? And it means that I guess in some respect, you know, the burden of that is not solely on on Isabeau's shoulders, yeah, she right. she has the opportunity to to kind of be a bit selfish on occasion and to have her own emotional responses to things that 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 you know she doesn't have to. She she's she's not in a position where she is the only influence on yeah. the beast. Um, I love the, the beast where develop. I love the bit where he's like picking her clothes like without really. <laughs> she's like, oh exactly. god, I have to wear this. Like, 
I don't want to wear this. I don't want to wear this big pink fluffy thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. I need to step back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And give her that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I also want to ask, how did you pitch to Hachette? Um, were you agented or was it like no? So see, this is this is a really fun story. It's um Great. so uh in twenty fifteen, Hodder and Stoughton, um, which it was the publisher that picked me up. They're they're a Hachette, they're a Hachette company in the UK. Yeah. Um, they um had an open submissions window. Yeah. Um, and I submitted the beast's heart through that, so I was not agented. Awesome. Um, it was an open submission window. Right. I think they received close to fifteen hundred submissions um, through that. Wow! Um, and yours clearly stood out. Well, I I feel like it was like you know I was I was. It is absolutely something that I'd worked very hard on, yeah, um, and yeah. and I think had you know it had it had been through multiple drafts it had been beta read at that point by a number of you know trusted sort of author friends so I had worked on it a lot um but it was also I think I was got very lucky in terms of timing because it was I think um at the point where I submitted it it was sometime around then, maybe only at like a couple of months afterwards when the live-action Disney um, movie was announced right. starring Emma Watson. So yeah. I think there was some nice buzz around that particular fairy yeah, tale yeah. That, that, that I managed yeah. to sort of um, capitalise on. It just that was, that was just sheer dumb luck, that timing. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, so they, they had their open submissions window and um, I think that was in late 2015 when um, I submitted to that. Yeah. Um, they called in the full, because you only send in a few chapters for yeah. these sorts of things. Um, so I think I sent in the first the first 50 pages or so, which might have been about three chapters. Um, they called in the full manuscript uh, the following March, so March 2016. Mm-hmm. And then um, in November of 2016, they um, they made made me an offer. So awesome. um, so that was that was super exciting. But then but then you know between sort of you no, know, I think I think it took another few months before I signed the contract with them. And yeah. then uh, and, and then obviously there was a process of about a, a year of sort of you know edits and and so forth. Um, yeah. Uh, so with to, it being a UK publisher, is the market then primarily UK or Australia or international or? Um, so uh, the it was marketed. So um, Hodder bought they bought World Rights, right. um, yeah. uh, but then they onsold the US rights to. Um, Berkeley, which is a Penguin Random House publisher. Right. So um, so. Hodder have brought it out in the UK and in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So it's, it's actually a book in Australia and New Zealand and in the UK. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Berkeley have brought it out in the US. Awesome. So, yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. So, I was, yeah, again, really, really very happy and very pleased. With, well done. With Yay. Yeah. Good job. Um, so, yeah, what are you working on now? What's coming <sighs> What's coming? Okay, um, I have a couple of novel projects, um, and I I'm trying very hard to focus on one of them, but um, I'm distracted easily. So I try and I try and make that a 
a um, constructive uh, yes. <laughs> procrastination exercise. So I distract myself from one novel project with the other, with but um, with, with varying degrees of success. But um, so the one I'm working on, the, the main one I'm working on is another standalone sort of fairy tale reimagining. Yep. And this is, this is uh, sort of uses Cinderella as the framework. Awesome. But, um, but in my Cinderella, she's she's actually faked her father's death um, right. to help extract him from the marriage to the horrible stepmother. Um, and then okay. she discovers the horrible stepmother is involved in a sort of a, a, a whole lot of sort of court intrigue and a plot to overthrow the the, 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 the crown. And, and so um, it's, it's full of adventure. That yeah. sounds awesome. Um, yes, so that's and that, so that will probably be another um, young adult novel, um, and I am also working on um, what I hope will be the first in a series of um, adult sort of historical fantasy, cool. which is set in London in the middle of the eighteenth century, and um, there are sort of angels and demons and magic and murder. Awesome. And I'm sort of describing that as um, queered up Georgette Hayer fiction. So <laughs> Very cool. Great. Well, I so, look forward to reading those. So They've both been super fun to work on. So Awesome. Yeah. So in terms of reading and watching, what are you loving at the moment by other writers and creators? Oh, um, oh actually, so what have I been reading? Um, lately, um, I have been reading the um, Unconquered City um, Chronicles of Gadid um, by K.A. Dorr. So um, uh, this is a fantastic um, secondary world fantasy set in a um, a sort of a I guess it's a sort of a Persian type city in the middle of a desert and it's the, the characters are all assassins so um the first one the first one so I'm looking behind myself because I've got them on my desk that's um, okay uh the first one is the perfect assassin and in in this particular book you have an assassin who is tasked with solving a murder which I just think is a wonderful premise it is. um and uh the third book I think has just been released. I'm not sure if it's available in Australia yet. I've I have it on order from my bookshop. Awesome. But, um, so the Perfect Assassin and the Impossible Contract are the first two, and they're fantastic, and I would highly recommend them. Very um, cool. Okay, yes. I'll check those out. Yeah. Um, now, has COVID affected you at all? Um, I loved how you did those distance group movie watching nights. Oh, they were fun. Yeah. How do you organise all that? Um, uh, I think we were talking on Twitter, weren't we, and watching them on. Yeah, and so it's funny actually because that the um so what we did was um we uh picked a movie with these wonderful very they like trash period drama um yeah. they're they're wonderful sort of eight nineteen eighties movies I think and the first yeah. one the first one was it the first one. Oh, uh, yeah, the first one we did starred a very young Hugh Grant um, and he he just is so young and hilarious. Um, but anyway, we had been talking about this at um, a convention, a bunch of I'm, – I'm not sure if you were in that conversation. Actually. Right, you I could, you so. could well I have been. Anyway, um, there, was a, there was a bunch of us talking about who discovered that we'd all seen this movie um, 
and and it is a deeply hilarious movie. It doesn't mean to be, but it is deeply hilarious. And we were talking about this um, this movie at a convention and saying, oh, and and because it's it's the kind of convention where you know there's a whole bunch of us and we're all from different cities all across Australia. We said, oh, we should do a a rewatch where we just where we live tweet it, where we watch it together and just live tweet it, yeah. you know, in, in our land rooms and um. So, um, uh, anyway, so we had that thought and then I said, yes, yes, I'll definitely organise that. But that was a couple of, like, that was probably two, two years, maybe nearly three years ago now. Anyway, um, uh, when, um, the, the sort of the COVID related restrictions started happening, um, and, and being imposed on everyone and all of a sudden nobody could go out and everybody was kind of languishing from yeah. lack of social fact um a couple of us um I, I was thinking about this and I think um uh uh Abby Abigail oh my God. I, I was I was tweet talking with her on Twitter or something we were like that yeah. that movie that we were going to watch together um anyway so I said no now is the time we need to organize that so let's do it let's get together yes. across across yes. space Yes. Yeah. So, so it was just about it was just about you know letting a bunch of people who were likely to be interested know that it was yeah. happening. I think I put I think I put an event up on Facebook and a couple of people tweeted about it. And it was it. So a free platform too. What was the platform again? I think no. I think all we did was we because these movies are available on YouTube. Yeah. So right. we just. We just made sure everybody had the link to yep. the movie yeah. um, and we sort of um, had a time when we were all going to start watching yeah. and we did a bit of a countdown to the time and we arranged a hashtag so that we all had the yeah. um, the right hashtag to tweet to each other on, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we all just watched it, watched it from our, watched it from our from lounge room. Comfort of our lounge rooms, and, yes, with and no risk snarky, of transmission. Exactly, and made snarky comments at each other, and yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, also in the the distant sort of communication area, um, I saw that you participated in a Reddit fantasy virtual con panel in May. Um, yeah. so it's something that a lot of the spec fiction community might be experiencing with Worldcon, Con Zealand, yeah. coming up at the end of July. Yeah. Um, it was a really interesting topic for the panel to keep it secret, keep it safe. So can you tell us a bit about that panel? Yeah, so um, this this was a panel that um, – uh, so the, Re the Reddit fantasy community apparently is is massive um, and I have – I have really only dipped my toes into Reddit. Um, I don't have a lot of experience on Reddit but um, some – I have a couple of author friends who have done quite a few sort of Reddit um, sort of author events and um, this the, – the suggestion was – um, there were a bunch of us, uh, a bunch of us who were all sort of Australian and New Zealand authors. Yeah. So, um, and it just so happened that we were all female authors as well. Um, and uh, when we were sort of brainstorming sort of topics to talk about for this panel, um, we sort of toyed with the idea about talking about something specifically Australian because that was a thing we all had in common. And and then we were sort of talking about, oh, well, maybe we could talk about something to do with the fact that we're all sort of, you know, female writers and, and um, how that's affected our writing and, you know, what our experience has been. But in the end we kind of decided that those were both like really kind of boring, obvious um, <laughs> yeah. 
uh, boring, obvious topics. And so we decided to go for something a bit different and something. And I think it worked really well. It's really it's intriguing. Really, you just say the really, word secret and I'm intrigued. Yeah, like, so yeah. what did you talk about with, like, secrets? Yeah. Well, we, we, we had, it was great fun, actually, and we had some really good questions, and I'm just desperately trying to remember the best ones now. But, <laughs> okay. um, Were but you using was... Zoom or um, so was no, it actually it was, a spoken was... panel or written no, panel? No, it was, it was a written one. So right. it, was, wow. um, it was just a kind of a, a, a Reddit thread. So yes. um, there was a sort of a sticky post at the top that told people what it was about, yep. and then people would post questions and Very we could cool. all answer them. And, awesome. Um, and had some really good questions about stuff like um uh you know can 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 you have a story can you have characters who don't have secrets you know yeah. um how do you how do you if you if you have a character with a secret you know how do you reveal that you know and and also some great questions about how we as writers sort of manage the tension around secrets so yeah, how do you you know how do you slowly reveal a secret what's the best way to do it oh, what wow. about when you have this when you have so interesting is so is was, this reddit being reddit is this thread still available for people to look yeah, up and it, read i think it, i think it should still be up there that um, is really cool so it will be uh, I, my understanding is it will, it will be closed now so yeah, um no, you no won't more. be able to sort of add comments to it but yeah. um it should still be there to to be read on and i will send you the link Oh, yeah, thank you. That would be good. And we'll add it to our show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So now a few years ago you edited the CSFG anthology A Hand of Knaves with Chris yeah. Large. Can you tell us about that experience and how the various editing processes you've experienced compare to the editing publishing process with Hachette? Yeah, or, yeah, sure. Or should I be calling them hotter? <laughs> Uh, or, well, that's the imprint. Hodder, Hodder and Stoughton are they're, they're sort of like Hachette is the umbrella company and then yep. Hodder and Stoughton are the publishers that right. are sort of the company underneath that. So um so I guess um my experience was with Hodder and Stoughton. Right. Um so their their um their publishing company. Um which it was overwhelmingly positive. They they're a really lovely, um lovely publishing house. Um uh, so so yes so um, I, I guess a lot of a lot of your Australian listeners would probably be familiar with uh, CSFG, which is sort of nominally the Canberra Speculative Fiction Guild, which is a a, a, oh, sort a lot of, of a, us live in Greater Canberra. <laughs> it, well, exactly, exactly. We have two levels of membership. There's there's the Canberra people and the Greater Canberra people, and and some of our Greater Canberra um, members come from places like Toronto and um, Hanoi and that is far um, away yeah. as you can get. Yeah. I love CSFG. Let's give them a shout. They do amazing work, don't they? They are, they are absolutely amazing. Beautiful and community. Have been yeah, really lovely community and have been so important in um, my personal publication journey. I mean, the first the first kind of critiquing circle that the Beast's Heart went through was the CSFG novel critiquing group. So um, so absolutely um, critical to my development as a writer. So many very talented writers. Yeah, and, yes. And generous writers. Yes, yeah. And um, they put out an anthology every every two or three years usually. Yeah. And um, the idea of – so there's, there's, there's sort of two two things about the anthology. It's it's an anthology of Australian speculative fiction. So um, the uh, authors are all either um, uh, Australian – 
Australian citizens or permanent residents. So um, you don't have to be an Australian citizen, but you, um, but you know, they're, they're usually if if you're not an Australian citizen, you've usually been living in Australia for for some time, and and you know, are part of the writing community here. Um, so it's a really good profile of Australian specific. Um, and then the editors, the idea is that to give. Um, to give sort of emerging writers an opportunity to to be an editor. So um, the editors are quite often people who have not necessarily had experience editing an anthology before and the CSFG community is, um, you know, sufficiently diverse that, that we have quite a lot of very experienced editors within the community and um, the opportunity is there for those um, uh those people taking on that editor role in, for the anthology to then be sort of mentored through the process by um, by people who do have more experience. And yeah. um, so, so, is that your first time editing? Yes, yes, that's the first time I've been involved in editing um, uh, a you know it actually editing stories. I it, I guess it's kind of it's not necessary in some ways it's not necessarily dissimilar to the process of kind of you know critiquing and beta reading Absolutely. somebody's yeah. work. I mean that's kind of I guess that's kind of the the foundation. You've got a little bit more power though. Yeah, you have a little bit more power and you have a little bit more influence over kind of the direction the story takes and because um, you've also got the greater um product, creative products yes, of the anthology yes. to Kind yeah, of composed, I mean, being be reading, yeah, you kind yeah. of give somebody your feedback and they go away and they, you know, take it or not and they might go on to develop the story or not. But when you're editing, it's like, well, you've undertaken to take the story on to publish it. Yeah. So, um, so you know, there's there's a there's a bit of a, a well, there is quite literally a contract there between yeah. you, um, and and it's your job as the editor to make that story as good as it can be. And certainly, you know, and with, and I guess the thing about the CSFG anthologies is you get quite a diverse range of stories submitted. So you'll have stories from really experienced writers who you look at the story and you go, that's amazing. I might just, you know, add a comma here and maybe stop there sort of thing. And, and the stories are, are almost kind of you know print worthy just as they are Um, and then you'll get stories from we these anthologies have given and in well these anthologies have given so many people their first publication their first publication and in fact um my very first published story was in a csfg anthology winds um, of change winds of change yes which you had a story in as well yeah Um, yeah you did i did um and that was edited by Elizabeth Fitzgerald, who yeah. um, is now a very good friend. Yeah. Um, and and so part of part of the importance. What was your of, story called, Leaf? I I remember what it was about. What was your story in? Oh, so it was it was another fairy tale. It was called um, the Tether of Time, and it was essentially Sleeping Beauty, but set on a boat instead of in a tower. So I, I had my, my sleeping duty sort of asleep on this ghost ship that would kind of sail around the, the Arctic Circle. That's and, very cool. I can go and find that and read it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm still really proud of that story. I still, I still love it. Um, but yeah, so part of so so you might get stories that that are almost perfect, and then you'll get stories that 
like there is there is something there that you want to bring out and and let it shine and and show let that story you know shine and be what it could be but it's not there yet so there were certainly stories that required a much more intensive editing process and some where you just you know like I said you give it's it a, a light sand <laughs> and and off it, it off it goes so, it's wonderful um, that um that writers who sort of need that extra help at getting that opportunity and mentorship to develop their whole skill set to not just that particular yeah. story it's that's really and wonderful it, you know, it was it was an overwhelmingly positive experience and I, yeah. and I'm you know I really hope it was for those authors as well but I you know I, I still have really good relationships with a couple of people like I'm just thinking of a couple of people for whom I know it was their first publication and their stories probably did require a little bit more work than others but um, I, I still have really good relationships with those people. They're still friends. I so, think, um, and they've gone on to do, you know, a more amazing things as well. Editing so. is a bit like exercise. Like it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but they're yes. uh, wonderful. It's a sweet sort of but pain. You feel and so you feel so Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. something wonderful. And I wanted Definitely. to talk to you about exercise too yeah. because – I remember seeing um, a little while ago, I don't know how long ago, um, that you'd run 5Ks, which I think is a, is really great because running is always a struggle for me. Like I can sometimes <laughs> run 5Ks. But, um, so let's talk it's about It's still a struggle for me. Helen. I know, right? So I'm just riding my bike now and you've seen how that's ended. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, let's talk about riding and, and fitness and exercise and, I don't know, fitting it all in. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I want to preface this by saying, hang on, I'm just going to let my dog out because he's in my study scratching at the door. Hold on. Oh, sorry about that. That's um, okay. Okay. So um, I want to start off by saying that, you know, I was absolutely the kid who never made it round the cross country, you know, course in in Hated either it. primary school or high school. Like I have these hilarious memories of you know running and walking, and then getting to a point where my, where I was so out of breath. Like one of my friends said something to me about, "Oh God, we should get her the iron lung," and I just like cracked up and I couldn't breathe and I almost passed out because yeah. <laughs> So I am not someone who I would think of as being a natural runner. Mm. Um, But, you know, a few years ago um, decided that I would try and start running just because, you know, it was a kind of exercise. It was easy. And I think think at the time um, my kids were playing soccer and they were sort of at an age where they weren't really old enough to just let them ride their bikes down to training on their own. They had to kind of be taken down. So... I would go down with them and um, basically just kind of do a couple of laps of the soccer field while yeah. I was while they while they were doing training and um, yeah. and I started I started doing that whole sort of couch to five you know program that's on the net where you sort of just very very slowly build, build up, up to um, to to running a distance but um, since then and and I'm very so for example I probably wouldn't when I run at the moment I probably wouldn't run 5k I'm sort of nursing a slightly dodgy Achilles tendon at the moment so I'm being a little bit gentle with myself yeah um but I 
it's what is fascinating is that writing running has kind of now become part of my writing process so I it's it's that whole thing where we always get our best ideas when we're in the shower or we're in the car or where and for me it's often when I'm out running so there's some there's just something about um being sort of in that being away from your laptop and a pen and all that sort of thing where you're sort of in that zone where your your body is concentrating really hard on doing something physical yeah. but your mind is free to wander and it is very very rare that I go for a run and don't either come up with a new idea or solve a problem that's been nagging me or you know something so it's another it's reason actually, to go running so that's that's yeah, really great yeah. yeah and and to be honest I'm also the kind of person who like physical exercise is not in itself a reward for me um I I will I will just procrastinate about it if it's just the exercise so for me it's actually about getting out and getting that headspace that brainstorm sort of headspace that I need to 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 have to do that kind of you know that sandboxing sort of sort of stuff that is so yep. important writing so um and you know and it has the added benefit of um of um sorry my apparently my dinner's ready um it, uh, <laughs> it has it has the added benefit of of you know um you know physical fitness and endorphins and you know yeah. all, all that all that good stuff so absolutely so yeah awesome. so yeah yeah I love it I love it that's really great well luckily um we're pretty well finished talking so you can go and have dinner now thank you so much for talking to us today Leaf. Thanks for having me. It's been delightful. It's been so nice. And just, again, back on the COVID thing, it's so lovely to see your face, Helen. Yeah, it's <laughs> lovely to see you too. So, yeah. Yeah. We should all make the effort to chat a bit more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so Skype many concerts and things have been cancelled this year. It's, it's just, you know, it's. We and this is where we this is where we connect with our community. So, so Worldcon, are you yeah. are you virtually yes. attending? Yep, I awesome. am virtually attending. Um, it looks like I will be on a couple of panels, cool. so um, I will definitely um, put some info out there about when those maybe, are. That's all confirmed. And maybe we'll all have to have a drink just on Zoom <sighs> or something. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm really hoping that maybe by then, you know, we'll be allowed to kind of collect in small groups in pubs or yeah. something and, and have a couple and have of a little local one. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much for talking to us and we'll see you later. We'll see you at Worldcon. Yeah, thanks, Helen. See you there. Bye. <laughs> Bye.